close your eyes and imagine somebody's made a movie of your life and they're at the point where they're showing the best part of your life ever. There's music playing, there's a soundtrack for it, birds chirping. It's like the high point of this movie, this story of your life. Okay. What music is playing? <laughs> I don't know what music is I don't have my theme music. You can't ask yeah, me that question right, on the yeah. spot. Welcome to Curious, a talk show where I chat with my friends about what makes us curious in both senses of the word. I'm Jason Anthony Guy, and I'm joined this episode by my occasional co-host, Ron Sang, and our special guest, Adrian Hoffman. I need a sampling. My musical ch- my musical taste changed over day to day so <laughs> like, I was expecting you know since I was a kid no day to day I have moments right? right so I can't tell you okay let's, let's close my eyes and see what's <laughs> um I see birds <laughs> I tend to navigate more towards the R&B jazz i loved classical music when i was in high school i actually played the flute yes jason is looking shocked by this but yes i played the flute from right around the third grade through the 12th grade so i played it for a long time i still have that flute actually i'll break it out every year and play something like a couple notes (laughs) did you play this in marching band i also played this in marching band as well um what was the question again Oh, music. So <laughs> uh, classical, R&B, uh, gospel, hip-hop from time to time. I love The Roots, y'all. The Roots are one of my favorite. I love Erica Badu. I love Jill Scott. Oh, my gosh. It's like, let's just run down my playlist because <sighs> a lot of people are on there. I even, there's a song by Johnny Cash on my phone as well. I've listened, you know, got some country, <laughs> which ironically, I was surprised as a kid. I was like, no, I don't like country. And there are a couple of songs that I'm like, yeah, I understand you. <laughs> I understand your struggle. Um, I even fell in love with reggae, right? What do you mean even? even? Yeah, what? Let me tell you why I say even. I said that because as a kid, just like with country music, I was like, reggae, I didn't understand reggae. I didn't understand the beats that were going on. I didn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> like, I don't like this. I actually stopped and listened one day and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I like this. And so I have a fair amount of songs on my phone that have reggae influence. So the tastes run the gamut. And I think it opens up over time, right? So I'm sorry if I offended anyone with the even. <laughs> my apologies. Is there someone or some music you like that you're embarrassed to admit that you like it? Yes. <laughs> oh Do gosh. tell. Do tell. So no. <laughs> I will not tell. Just know there are probably a couple of popular tracks that you probably would never expect anyone to buy. And they are on my phone. Oh, no, no, no. You can't touch. <laughs> you got to share. I will share off the record. <laughs> We're off the record. We have, let me stop the record. Lies. I see red lights over there. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're gonna go through the the teen p- top fifty and just watch for her reaction. <laughs> <laughs> See which one she starts bopping. Oh, it's not gonna be on anybody's top fifty list. <laughs> <laughs> so most of your life, you lived in Alabama or the South. Yeah, born and raised in Birmingham. Most of the schools that I attended through undergraduate school were African-American, high percentage, um, being African-American. Where did you go to college? College, Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida. And then I actually moved to Iowa, Iowa State University for graduate school. Was there some culture shock there? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> Iowa was interesting because, yes, there was a little bit of a culture shock. I thought I was prepared Even though I went to primarily African-American schools, I had internships at other places and interacted with other ethnicities and cultures in general. And so I didn't think it was going to be a big issue. I connected pretty well with my peers in Iowa. The exception being that I remember there were some articles um, and some things that were not necessarily in the kindest light for African-Americans. One in particular where a, a good friend of mine actually had an exchange with a writer. We all ended up writing comments ourselves. So this was like the school newspaper? or This was the school newspaper, actually. But it was a learning experience for everyone involved because for the person that wrote the paper, they learned a little bit more about Black history and that Black History Month is there for a reason. Their response at the time was that, you know, why are we really celebrating this? This is kind of coming from that particular angle. And our response was, of course, this is something that needs to be known. And here's why. The exact point is made by your questioning it. There were some other things that happened that really showed us that while it may not necessarily be racism, there's a misunderstanding because of lack of exposure. Everyone's not a racist. Some people just don't know because they're not exposed. Like being in the middle of Iowa, there's not a lot of African-Americans there, at least from my experience. And what else are you going to know outside of maybe BT or any other shows? That may show African-Americans in the area. So unless you're exposed, you won't know. And so that was a learning lesson for or a teaching moment for my friends and I in that you do have to stand up and address things as they happen. But you can also learn from those. Our lesson was everyone doesn't know. Everyone's not a racist. (laughs) Um, You do have those out there. Um, But those experiences can become teaching moments for everyone involved. How did the the writer take it? Initially, were they taken aback by the resistance you offered? I believe initially so. My friend that actually wrote the initial response corresponded with the writer more. And through their correspondence, a mutual understanding came about. They have a shared experience. They've learned more. We've learned more. Now we're better for it. Do you find that you've had one of those teachable moments since you've moved out to California? Not really. It's it's just different here. It's it's different. (laughs) (laughs) California is California. You got to love it. (laughs) How long have you been in the Bay Area now? I am approaching, I'm probably at eight and a half years in the Bay Area. Where in the Bay Area do you live? I live in San Jose. 
did you choose San Jose for something other than convenience to work? It felt comfortable, like it was more like home. I believe the way the city is mapped, at least for me, I drew some type of, this feels a little more like Birmingham. It's not, but it feels a little bit more like it. I found myself being more drawn towards San Jose and the area that I specifically live in is barely south of downtown. Do you stand out or do you feel like you stand out? Honestly, so ironically, no. I know the Bay Area in general, it just feels like a huge melting pot. I know that there are not a lot of African-Americans here, so I'm already there with that mindset. But I see more and more neighbors who are African-American, who are like me and actually interact with them. And I see my other neighbors as well. From my experience and from from what I see, it seems a bit different from what your typical experience here might be. Living in the Bay Area for eight years or so now, where do you get your hair done? Did you find it difficult to find somebody that you would trust to do your hair? That is a very interesting question. So I actually have a beautician that I go to um, fairly infrequently, actually. Um, I followed her from a couple of other places. I tend to go to her probably every time I need to get my hair trimmed or I want to get my hair colored. I like to do highlights from time to time. (laughs) My highlights have grown out, so I think I need another trip. (laughs) soon. But I also um, do my own hair. You don't really know what to expect in terms of hair care. Being in new places, it can be hard because I remember in Iowa, I found no one. So I ended up doing my hair all by myself. And ladies, my hair is natural. I started the transition in 2004. (laughs) I was in undergrad, no, graduate school from 2005 to 2007. What was it before you started the transition? I actually had a relaxer and I'd had it probably since I was in fourth grade. Yeah. So I had a relaxer probably from whatever age you're at in the fourth grade up until like 2005. No, 2004. I remember it was the summer of 2004. And I believe I got my last perm in Chicago and or before I was going and just kind of left it at that. Why did you relax and why did you stop? So I begged my mother for a hair relaxer because I saw other girls in schools with their hair relaxed. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And they're talking about their hair. And I was like, I want my hair like that too. And actually ended up being easier for my mom. So she didn't protest too much about it. So I remember so many Sundays sitting in this chair in the kitchen with the hot comb. (laughs) And she's pressing her hair or getting my hair um, braided by one of my aunts. I used to love those hairstyles, though. And those would last at least a week, right, before you have to get it done again. I get to take a nap. So that was great. Uh, (laughs) But the reason why I ended up getting a relaxer is because I begged my mom for one. Um, I saw other kids doing it and really just wanted to participate in the conversation. So, hey, I want my hair done uh, like that, too. I ended up uh, choosing to stop getting my hair relaxed because I wanted to see what my natural hair pattern was. That is the primary reason. No soul searching. No, you know, I'm all about empowering myself right now. I really was just curious as to what my hair texture looked like. (laughs) And so I started the transition. 
I didn't do the big chop, <laughs> which um, for those of you who don't know, is actually cutting your hair off and letting it start to essentially just grow out naturally from the get go. So you're cutting off all permed edges. So that is not me. I'm not about that life. I love y'all and respect y'all who can do it. As for me, I'm I'm not as brave. Were you just wearing beanies the whole time? I was not, actually. I was wearing a fair amount of twists <laughs> um, and also pressing my hair in between. So that did accomplish somewhat of a relaxed look to complement the relaxed edges. A little less than a year, I actually ended up cutting the permed edges off. For one, it, it was easier. It looked better. <laughs> And um, two, my hair had grown out to a point where I was more comfortable with actually cutting those off. And I hadn't turned back since. Could you identify something about yourself that you think most people might be surprised to find out? That I love sewing. I don't get a chance to do that as much anymore, really at all. But, you know, my sewing machine is hanging out in my closet but if I get a whim, <laughs> it'll actually come out. Um, one of the first things I ever mentioned I wanted to be was a fashion designer. I really love design and have since I've been a kid. I still like to lock into looking at different elements and how they're pieced together and really just putting it together to create something. What came first, your, your love of design or your love of technology? I would say my love of design came first. Uh, reason being, my grandmother was a seamstress, and I used to love watching her sew. I oftentimes found myself, instead of wanting to go outside and play, wanting to cut patterns and actually sit there and sew. And when I wasn't sewing, I was actually drawing houses and kind of, you know, architecting myself on paper. You're an electrical engineer? I am an electrical engineer. I studied electrical and computer engineering in undergrad and went on to get a master's in electrical engineering. It seems to me there's some similarity between a sewing pattern and a circuit board. Absolutely. I mean, you have to piece things together, right? The common thread for me is design. You have to know how things fit together, how they actually work together. There's a lot that goes into how a board is actually laid out. What you're going for when laying something out is making sure that you have something that's going to work electrically in the best way possible. So it takes knowing different boundaries, different limits, knowing what's going to work well with each other versus not, how certain elements of physics are working at play in terms of your bills, how current flows and things like that. Some things placed in some places, just they don't work well for your system. And at the end of the day, we want the best user experience. So we have to put our knowledge of how things function together what different rules are, best practices. That all has to come together to make sure that you end up with a solid design. So I can't take the pattern for my sleeve and attach it to my legs. It's not going to work. Much so with a circuit, I can't take this one interface I'm working with and stick it with this other interface that just doesn't belong. So you have to know what pieces will work together how to actually piece them together, and what's going to make it stick. Although a sleeve on a leg, now that's a bold fashion choice. I don't believe that you would ever want to have a sleeve on a leg. Please, people, don't do it. <laughs> that's the wrong way to go. Adrian's fashion tips. No sleeves on your legs. 
How do you feel about the fact that growing up in Alabama, Birmingham, Birmingham specifically, so much of the civil rights movement, so many of those inciting incidents happened right? yeah. there. Are you proud of the fact that so many of the things that led to changes in the civil rights movement started in Birmingham or happened in Birmingham, or does it depress you or distress you that so many incidents started to happen in Birmingham? It actually, um, actually does not depress me. And some may think this is strange, but it gives me a bit of a sense of pride. People within that area decided that this is wrong. We're going to tackle this. And while I hate that anyone at any point has experienced hatred, uh, negative energy, um, negativity directed towards them, the fact that they stood up and actually did something about it is amazing. And for that, I am proud of them. I am proud of my city. Um, my hometown <laughs> and what it represents because it represents an over the ability to overcome. One of the things that was interesting um, growing up in Birmingham, because it is such a historic part of the movement, our teachers at the time made sure that we were well aware of our history. And so each Black History Month, we had a number of projects we had to work on. I remember one highlight being completing a paper, and it ended up turning into like a mini book where we had to write. We basically had to write what we learned about 40 different individuals that were relative to Black history. There was this, actually it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Our teachers told us, you all are not staying home for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I don't know what you all had planned, but this is what you need to do. You are going to the Civil Rights Institute. Let your parents know you have to write a paper. And so we visited the Civil Rights Institute so that we could write our paper about it. And that was such an awe-inspiring experience to have. Just beyond words, even as a child looking at the things they had in there, those were the elements that they have in there were things that just stuck with you. So describe what the Institute is. What does it represent? What does it have? What can you see there? So the Civil Rights Institute has a number of displays relative to the civil rights movement, specifically as it was impactful to Birmingham, Alabama. So you're taking through a range of events starting from some very early years. You see how segregation existed in one display. You're moving on. You see this huge display there of relative to the Freedom Riders. I remember there's a bus that looked like it had been bombed. And I don't remember if that display was um, something that was a model or duplicated or if it was actually a relic from a bus that experienced being bombed. But seeing things like that, just going through as if you were in that time period, seeing the different displays that were there, one in particular, one area, and this is towards the end that really touched me, was finding out about Bloody Sunday. I had no idea or clue about it before seeing that display. And seeing it just, it reinforced everything that I'd learned that we were past the time, thank God, where you had people were enduring this for basic civil rights. To see that someone was being attacked by a dog, someone being beaten by a baton, seeing the fire hydrants that were let out. You're just seeing these pictures around and it's, it's set up in a way where you just, you can't help but be immersed in, in that experience. 
could you describe Bloody Sunday? Uh, Why it's called that? Bloody Sunday is a, a march that was attempted between Selma, Alabama and Montgomery, Alabama, specifically to highlight the concerns of voter rights that black people in this area need to have the right to vote. It's a basic right um, that should be afforded by all. The march was the one of those points that was being done to drive this home. We're marching from Selma to Montgomery. The first attempt at that is what's marked as Bloody Sunday, because as the participants were crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge, um, they were met by state troopers in Alabama and um, they were essentially attacked. And it was deemed Bloody Sunday because a lot of um, participants were they were harmed. Um, there was bloodshed. I do remember that being a huge, huge um, something that would affect me. How many times have you been to the Institute? I believe I've been somewhere on the order, maybe three times. It's not been extremely frequent because it is a heavy experience. Why do you keep going back? I would say either someone was there that had not been there before, or I just wanted a reminder. I would still go back, and I would definitely recommend others to go back, specifically for the historical influence that it has the things that you can learn from it. Moving through that environment, you gain so much knowledge about what was experienced there in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, that a certain level of respect gets built up. And it's not just Birmingham. I remember one of the last exhibits actually being that of a uh, a picture of a slave ship, actually. And you, you're seeing the, the slaves actually laid out. The knowledge that you gain from being in that environment the way that it's set up, the experience that you gain from it, to me, is like none other in terms of really understanding what happened there. The fact that a part of the tour could lead you over to the 16th Street Baptist Church is also a critical point. Just stepping inside of the church, knowing what happened, four little girls happened to be within the church, um, typical Sunday morning. And some members, I believe, of the Ku Klux Klan planted a bomb within the church and it set off, I believe, between Sunday school and church starting. I don't remember all of the specifics of it. But unfortunately, the lives of four little girls were lost because of that hatred that someone wanted to harm so many individuals. That church being there, still standing even to this day. I believe is a testament to wrong will not prevail. And like, I'm getting this feeling right now talking about it because to me, it represents so much. It represents what was happening at that time in terms of the struggle. I believe it may have been, a, you know, a meeting place for a number of individuals at that time, a key starting point for some things that were happening there to becoming a target to overcoming being a target and still standing today. And it's unfortunate that children lost their lives. One of the little girls that lost their lives is Denise McNair. My parents wanted to throw a graduation party for me for completing undergraduate school. And we were looking for places and my mom happened to stumble upon McNair Studios. And this was run by Denise McNair's father. And I believe her um, sister had a party in it. They were photographers. And so I was like, yes, we have to go there because I love history. 
And that's one of those portions of history that I tend to really look at and into. And seeing the pictures that were on the wall, you could tell that influence. Seeing the imagery from that time period was just, wow. The Institute is part of an entire civil rights district. Was that there the last time you visited? It has been there. That district encompasses the Civil Rights Institute, the 16th Street Baptist Church, Kelly Ingram Park, and I believe a number, a couple other places. Those places have always been there. I don't remember when the designation as that district came about, but they've been there. They're all key to the civil rights movement. When the Institute was put up, a lot of people were saying that, oh, this is our history and we're much better now. Why are you bringing up these old wounds? Is the Institute doing something to remind people of old wounds, or are they just documenting history? To me, it represents a portion of history that we have to make sure we're aware of, because a key quote for me, and I believe it's George Santanaya, says, if you don't know your past, it's destined to be repeated. I really take a hold of that, because if you don't know what happened, how can you avoid it ever happening again? And so the Civil Rights Institute and its presence in Birmingham represents for me, this is what happened. This is what was done to overcome it. Let's make sure we respect those who actually went through it, pay homage to them, but know that in order to make sure this doesn't get repeated, we know where it started. We know what was done to overcome it. Were your parents ever or grandparents ever vocal about the things that they had been through or experienced? I'm assuming that they grew up in Alabama as well. My parents and grandparents did grow up in Alabama as well. In fact, that's where the bulk of my family is from. They were not as vocal about their experiences as one would think. (laughs) A lot of the knowledge I have about what they'd gone through or experienced were because I asked. And I definitely remember sitting down with my grandfather one day and asking him more about his side of the family and finding out that... Um, There was a great-great-grandfather who owned a very well-run store. It was so well that each kid had their own equivalent to a car, which was a horse, which was not known to happen back then. And there were folks in the area, didn't like it, went and burned it down. The papers for it were there with it. My great-great-grandfather could not prove that that was his store, and so they essentially lost everything that they built. Things like that, I learned because I asked. To hear their story and know what they went through and experienced, spectacular. Like, I have a level of respect for my ancestors that is just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) In MLK's uh, Letters from Birmingham Jail, one of the things he said in uh, Letters to Birmingham Jail is, Birmingham is probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the United States. Was that your experience growing up? I would say yes and no. Yes, because you know that there are some issues there. I did not exactly see or experience that segregation for myself because a lot of the places that my parents and I would go to would have a high ratio of African-Americans or that influence. And so as a child, my parents did a wonderful job of shielding me and my siblings from a lot of the other factors that are out there that you just don't want children to be impacted or affected by at a very early age. Later on, as I got older, you definitely have your pockets 
of Birmingham where you may find more of one ethnicity or culture versus another. But at the end of the day, I would disagree. I actually ironically one summer interned in Chicago and was very floored with how in my experience, how segregated that city was. Like, everyone crossed lines or whatever, but to see that there's this community, that community, that had not been my experience. It improved. You know that the negative connotations were still existent and around, but fortunately for me, uh, my experience wasn't as um, as negative as other people a lot of the reason for that just being your parents shielding you. From- exactly. I would say my parents shielding me and my siblings and also because of our forefathers and mothers, the things that they did to make our lives better. Because while we may not have had to march in those streets to make change, they did. And while it may have been slow in coming, while you may see undertones, it's going to take a while for people to change their mind. But as long as the spirit and letter of the law can be changed to allow for that change to happen, I think things will improve. And you get kids like me who may not have actually <laughs> experienced um, that firsthand. I'm hearing you say that growing up, you heard about racism and segregation, but you didn't necessarily experience it directly yourself while growing up. When, do you remember the first time you did first experience a racist, having a racist experience or a segregationist, segregating experience? I do remember an experience um, that I first had where I felt like maybe there was some racism at play. I had to question it because up until that point, I never felt like, okay, I would experience this. I'm in high school. I'm visiting Florida A&M with my marching band and we are allowed to go to the mall and just go visit stores, grab food, and we're told to come back to the bus by a certain time. So my friends and I are in a record store. They had they may have had some vinyl in there, but they had tapes and CDs. And so my friends and I are looking through the CDs and something happened. I don't remember exactly what. One of the employees there either said something, looked a certain way, or was following us around. I don't remember exactly what happened. But that put a little bit of a flag up for me. It's like, is I feel like we're being discriminated against. And up until that point, that had never happened. And so for something like that to happen, even away from home, it's like, this isn't right. And I believe that my normal was said such that having someone follow you around or question you in a certain way, that doesn't happen. And so in that time, in that in that place, in that environment, um, for whatever happened at that time to happen, it just wasn't normal. Any sort of closing ideas or thoughts? Um, My final thoughts would be that um, life to this point has definitely been a very interesting journey and experience. As a child growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, I honestly never imagined myself living in California. I've said I wanted to visit, and I often as a kid saw myself living in Birmingham. My family is there. A number of friends at the time were there. and. I just love the city, but I am happy for change. 
because I feel like I've learned a lot, even moving to the Bay Area, the things that I've experienced. There have been eye-opening moments, moments of enlightenment that I don't believe that I would have gotten if I had stayed in one place. While I am grateful for where I started, I love it. I appreciate where I am and I appreciate those things that I gained from it. And I'm thankful of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute for being a reminder of the history for that journey that was made by those who participated in the civil rights movement, especially as it affects not only Birmingham, but the country, because that was actually a huge point of influence for that movement. To be able to return to it is just amazing. Get goosebumps every time I go back home. To be able to look back at that, to see where I am now, is is just amazing. And I'm proud for it. And I don't think I would have it any other way. And that's a great place for us to end. Thanks for joining us on Curious. Thank you. And thanks to Ron for co-hosting. That's terrific. We release Curious every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We are on Apple Podcasts and at CuriousTalkShow.com. Talk to you soon. Oh, this feels like a talk show for real. <laughs> yeah, we, we are doing this up for real, people. This yeah. is for real.